This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two leaves falling in my backyard, adding to the messy canvas of birdseed and overgrown grass, Brian Murray. I'm a leaf on the wind. And Paul Jaisley. I am the law. Today on I Read Comic Books, uh, (laughs) we're going to be talking about some comics and things that we went over, but uh, I do have a quick announcement right now on the IRCB Patreon. If you're not a member, we are doing a vote for November's IRCB Movie Club, which is our quarterly patron series. We, me and Brian and Paul, the people on this episode, we talk about comic book-based movies or adjacent movies. Um, you can join and you can vote on the three movies that we have up right now. Swamp Thing from 1982, Blade from 1998, and Creep Show from 1982. Blade's in the lead, but the month is still young, so you can go on and you can turn the tide. I'm going to say Paul really wants to watch Creep Show, but it's really up to the people. Creep Show. Creep Show. Go to join IRCB pod, or excuse me, patreon.com slash IRCB podcast, and you can join and vote. But let's get into things. Let's talk about comic books, because that's what we're here to do when I read comic books every week. So I have two legally mandated questions that I have to ask you, which is how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Brian. Uh, I've been pretty good. Uh, I haven't been reading comics so much as I've been playing video games mm. lately. Yeah picked up i was a teenage exo colonist on steam that's a lot of fun <laughs> what <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a very cute little like story game where you play as uh someone who's on a spaceship that crash lands and it follows the next 10 years of your life as you try to survive in this new colony world hmm. interesting um but it's got it's got a cool like ro- almost not yeah, not quite roguelike but that same idea where like when the game ends it's not actually over right sort of thing like okay. you go back and restart and you have like memories from your past life that can change the outcomes cool uh so it's a lot of fun but i did do some comic book readings i'm not a total loser thank you just a partial <laughs> one uh i picked up uh alien volume two this is the the new series with uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson and Salvador La Roca. Uh, this one's kind of cool. It's sort of a, a period piece. Um, it is still set in the future, but it's set on like a uh, a colony world of these religious fanatics who are like not quite space Amish, but <laughs> certainly like in that Luddite direction. Okay. Um, it's basically the old west um, so the diehard fire firefly fan base or something right <laughs> yeah yeah it's got it's got firefly vibes for sure 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 but then as you might expect aliens happen and you'll never guess who's responsible unless you've read or watched any aliens stuff in which case <laughs> Please you'll know it was Waylon yutani <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah, they they you know seeded a spaceship and sent it crashing into the colony to wipe out the colonists because they wanted to test their alien bioweapon. Mm-hmm. Seems like they're always testing the damn thing. <laughs> I, I love the xenomorphs because of their uh, their versatility. You know, like you see like the the dog xenomorph in Alien Three and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. the way they turn into different kinds of monsters based on whatever they incubate inside of. Mm-hmm. And this one has these like bug mole things that get implanted. And so we have these things that are essentially like just lamp, you know, you know lampreys like with that circular mouth full of horrible teeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hate that. It's like imagine that, but covered in a shiny black carapace with a bunch of little <laughs> bug legs. Terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Super cool. But an absolute nightmare. At one point, one of them fully burrows into somebody's mouth. Like oh, oh, no. <laughs> that gives me the, the chills, man. I hate that stuff. I hated movies. I, I hate the fact that you talked about it on the show. <laughs> they really go hard on on gore in this book. Like you definitely see when you know the aliens love to punch through the back of somebody's head. Oh yeah. And in the movies it's just like a quick cutaway. Uh in this you get the full like face exploding outward, like yeah. somebody getting showered with teeth from their <laughs> former lover. Jesus. Well, this is definitely an explicit episode of IRCB. Yeah. Um, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. But uh, there's, there's a great moment where one of the military guys who works for the company is being told, like, 
Hey, don't worry. I mean, there's some aliens outside, but we're safe in here. And his response is basically, no, the fuck we're not. <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> and of course, he is proven correct. I, I, you know, these these tropes of alien stuff like there, I feel like this is an entire genre of like sci fi horror in yeah. itself with just the types of tropes. of like, don't worry, we're going to be fine. And then they absolutely are like I it never gets old. It just never gets old for me. Uh, it's 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 always very frustrating to watch somebody and be like, I have to remind myself they don't know that they're in an alien comic book. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's like when you see somebody in a horror movie, and you're like, why would you go down to the basement? It's like they don't know they're in a horror movie. Right. They don't. I, I go to music. my basement all the time. Yeah. 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 If I hear a weird noise, I assume it's the cat. Right. Right. <laughs> oh man. So you're enjoying the alien comic series then? Yeah, I mean it's 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 fine. I I don't know. It's I'm probably not going to remember any of this in two weeks. <laughs> sure, it sure. did not like have a big impact on me, but I don't know. It was fun. Okay, fair enough. Well, yeah, Nick's Nick's been trying to push me on this book for a long time. I think I, I need to continue. I read the first arc. I liked it. I think I just probably need that read that second arc. Paul, what about you? What are you, what have you been reading? How have you been? I've been doing well, Mike. Uh, for those who are curious, we are in the midst of uh, some autumnal weather here in West Michigan, West Michigan Weather mm. Report. It is actually a nice 60 degree sunny day right now, but it was not that way two hours ago. <laughs> we are in the midst of, uh, <laughs> you know, Michigan, Michigan autumn. So uh, the mornings are very cold, but this looks like a nice day. So I might have to go outside and enjoy these last rays of sunshine before, uh, you know, winter comes, as, as they say. But that's always a good excuse to stay in and read some good comics. Uh, I've read a bunch of stuff this week, and I wanted to take some time to really talk about something I, I absolutely loved and I want to recommend to all the listeners and my co-hosts here, and that is The Best of 2000 AD Volume 1. Mm. As the title suggests, this is a collection of material from the long-running British anthology comic 2000 AD, which I'm sure most people know as the comic book that has Judge Dredd in it, but it's so much more than that. You know, we That's have... Me. <laughs> 45 years worth of material from 2000 AD. Uh, it's mainly science fiction based stuff. Um, and the thing with 2000 AD is because it's an anthology comic, it's never really been a big hit in the United States because mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. U.S. comic markets doesn't, you know, isn't uh, welcoming to anthology titles for some reason. So, but uh, this book was originally announced to come out in the spring of 2000, uh, 2020. Uh, and obviously that for obvious reasons didn't happen. It got reformatted from a, uh, maxi series of 12 issues down to i think six uh trade collections which i think is a smart mm -hmm. move because you get a ton of comics in this first volume uh you get material from the past 2000 ad from the 80s and 90s you get more contemporary stories and you get a brand new judge dread story written by john wagner who of course co-created the character that's got Sick. art by kev walker and it's great i've talked about dread a bunch on the show and like there's particular dread stories i really like particularly john wagner dread stories where Wagner uses dread as a way to talk about contemporary politics and culture in a way. And mm -hmm. it's less about dread as a character, more about 2000, uh, more about mega city one as a concept. So this story is called Muty block. And it's about how these mutants from the cursed earth are immigrating to mega city one throughout the story. You have the bureaucrats involved in that process, basically flat out saying, we don't want these mutants here. So we make this process as difficult as possible to discourage them from coming. We tell them Oof. there's no jobs available. <laughs> we put them in these crappy mega blocks what? and, you know, uh, and all this stuff. That's so, so unrealistic. Right. <laughs> Could you imagine if that was. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and there's kind even of a horrible, inhumane government would do that. <laughs> <laughs> what I love is that, you know, there is that sort of sat black humor satire to it, but it's just a really mm -hmm. good story on top of that where. There's these groups that are working to sort of sabotage this plot or sabotage this process. And they're going to blow up the block where all the mutants are housed. And of course, you know, one of the judges, not Dread, but another judge basically says like, yeah, I don't want these mutants here either, but the law says we have to protect them. So we will, I guess. And it's like, it's such, <laughs> it's not even thinly veiled political commentary. It's so well done. I really, oh really enjoyed God. it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Subtle as a brick to the face. Yeah. And that's how I like God. my Dread stories, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. It, um, it's it's very appropriate for the for dread. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's really great. If you want some dread stuff, that's a freight a great sort of new dread story. I want to highlight a couple of the older material, older uh, reprints in this book that I really think are worth checking out if you are curious. 
before I get to that, there is a, a story called Brink that's written by Dan Abnett with I, art by INJ Culberd. That's a more recent 2000 AD story. I think that just recently concluded in 2000 AD, but you get like the first three or four chapters of that in this book. And it's like a murder mystery detective story set in the future where the earth has been destroyed and everyone's living on the brink of humanity, a brink of extinction. Get it? Uh, in these giant floating uh, space stations. That was a really fun book. This isn't like a perfect allusion to one of my favorite made-for-TV Disney movies, Brink. Uh, Is that I what was you're really hoping? Too. Yeah, <laughs> trust me, I love Brink, and I was hoping for an adaptation of that, but it's not. Just so. one guy in roller skates. That's all that I wanted to see, right? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> if only we could make that, find a giant loophole to make that part of the uh, movie club to watch Brink at some <laughs> point. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the real uh, attraction here for uh, for people that are curious about uh, 2080 Beyond Dread, you get the first 10 chapters, and that's 50 pages worth of comics right there, um, of The Ballad of Halo Jones, which is a series from 1984, written by Alan Moore with art by Ian Gibson. This is one of the most famous 2080 stories. It's one of Alan Moore's first major comic works mm-hmm. uh, before Watchmen. It's set in the 50th century, and it follows the life of an 18-year-old woman named Halo Jones, and she's really fed up with the world she lives in. Her and her friends live in this, um, basically, it's a giant uh, metropolis that's floating in the Atlantic Ocean that's for people that are unemployed. So there's nothing to do. There's a lot of violence. Uh, They're kind of quarantined from the rest of society. Uh, She wants to escape, and she dreams of going to the stars. And kind of the first 10 chapters here, you get her... A lot of world building of that. You get a sense of who Halo Jones is, how she wants to break free of the life that she has. And she sees her other friends get caught up in in some tragic ways in the the world that they live in. So it's really cool to see a science fiction story that's not inherently like violent. It's like a slice of life science fiction story. And it's the first 2000 AD story to have a female lead character. And it's written, obviously it's written by two male creators, but the idea that you'd have a uh, comic strip in a quote unquote boys comic like 2000 AD that was had a female lead character and wasn't just like a violent science fiction story. It's really groundbreaking stuff, even to this day, even though it's almost 40 years old. I really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more to it. There's like three volumes of the of that story. This is just the first volume. And of course, there's a big ad at the end of this. Like, be sure to look out for the collection, hardcover collection of all of the Ballad of Halo Jones coming in January. I'm like, yep, I'm going to pre-order that because I liked it so much. Yeah. So. Yeah, but isn't isn't the like unfortunate side of the ballad Halo Jones that it was never finished because right. more like the, I, I think when we watched the 2000 AD like documentary, right? Like, yeah, there was some some hubbub about like more moving to the United mm-hmm. States or moving his work to the United States and like some issues that he had with 2000 AD. Right. As far as I know, yeah, there was some um, some legal issues regarding the um, ownership of the characters since uh fleetway which was the publisher of 2000 at the time claimed to own the characters that more created yeah yeah a similar thing happened to dc when he wrote watchmen it's just a common theme in his career but uh-huh. originally the ballad of halo jones is supposed to be nine volumes to cover her entire life story it was canceled mm-hmm. after the first three volumes and that's kind of like this big tragedy because uh more had the whole story plotted out and never got to finish yeah. it so yeah and apparently doesn't want to go back like that's it does, it's too painful to go back to finish that stuff so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, that's like the first 10 chapters of that. And then you do get a complete story in here. You get a complete Judge Anderson story from 1990 uh, that was written by Alan Grant, the late, great Alan Grant, uh, with art by Arthur Ranson. Uh, of course, Judge Anderson is a character in the Judge Dread mythos. She's the sort of uh, the judge that has psychic abilities, part of the Psy Ops division of the judge system there. Mm-hmm. And this story is about uh, her and her supervisor teaming up with two side judges from the Soviet city East Meg 2 to explore some strange phenomena that are going on across the planet. And uh-huh. if you know anything about Judge Dredd, you know that Judge Dredd destroyed East Meg 1 at the end of the Apocalypse War. So there's some tension between uh, Mega City 1 and East Meg 2. Uh, I do really? like that Alan Grant references the end of the Cold War. He makes like an uh, offhand remark like, oh, there's this new uh, spirit of Glasnot. Uh, here in East Meg too. So like hinting at even in the future of uh, Judge Dredd, there is an end to the Cold War in sight, you know, since it was written in 1990. <laughs> they find out that there's like an ancient civilization living in the Earth's core and they go to explore the, the ruins of that civilization. It's a pretty fun mix of like supernatural and fi- sci-fi stuff. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then Ranson's artwork is really incredible. I'm not familiar with Arthur Ranson's work. It's like hyper detailed in a way that almost looks like photocopied photographs. If you did like a like a photo comic kind of the thing, 
Interesting. It looks amazing for the time period. And I do like that you get a com- full, complete story there. It's not just a few chapters. You get the complete story. But it ends in a very interesting, sort of like ambiguous way that I kind of enjoyed. Um, all being Hold said... On. I'm looking at this... Hold on. I'm looking at some previews for this art. Yeah. Are you telling me that this came out in a as a weekly book mm-hmm. through 2000 AD? Mm-hmm. This is unbelievable art like holy <laughs> shit okay sorry i'm gonna check yeah, this yeah. out that's you sold me you sold me sold, okay yeah that, that's what i'm saying i will say this if you're reading this 2008 stuff for the first time it was all written you know weekly as sort of like five to eight page chunks which i mm-hmm. think makes some really interesting sort of uh um rhythmic uh makes an interesting rhythm to the storytelling the narrative layout but it can be repetitive because you basically get one page of recapping that happened in the last, you know, chapter, three pages of build up and then a cliffhanger, kind of like that's the rhythm. And once you kind of get a sense of it, it's enjoyable, but it can be kind of repetitive right off the bat. But I think for $23, you get a solid chunk of high quality comics with this. Again, any new uh, Dread stories from John Wagner is worth the price of admission. Ha- the Halo mm-hmm. Jones stuff is great. It looks amazing. The Judge Anderson story is, I think, one of the best uh, sort of judge dread adjacent stories i've read so i cannot recommend this highly enough even if you have no interest in dread or 2080 if you just want some good science fiction comics it's well mm-hmm. worth the price of admission to pick this up i i really really enjoyed it and i'm excited to see the rest of these collections as they come out that's cool and, and you're this is what you just talked about is just a a subset of the full sto- like set of stories in this book right yeah yeah there's even more there's a so you get a strontium dog story you get a um Another short little Judge, Judge, Judge Dredd story from Alan Grant. It's great stuff. And, and again, I think there's going to be six of these all together, these best of 2080s. And then like, I can only imagine what they got uh, planned for the rest of them since there's so much good stuff in this first volume. Cool. Very cool. Uh, well, for me this week, I feel like I have been off my game and that I've been reading a lot of comics and not liking a lot of comics. And I feel like I've said that a lot recently and I don't know what it is. I feel like I'm maybe reading too many X-Men books. And I know that that is also a common theme. All I'm saying is that trying some new stuff, I actually found some good comics that I wanted to talk about <laughs> for today. So um, the first book I want to talk about is Human Target number seven. Tom King, Greg Smallwood, Clayton Coles, everyone's back. Hit Human Target's back after a little bit of a break. I want I just want to say this. Human Target's great. If you don't know what the premise is, um, it's essentially a guy gets hired to be the fall person for Lex Luthor. He gets poisoned and he finds out he has 12 days to live. And... There's a lot of the story that goes from there. It's a big murder mystery. Um, mostly who's who killed me as this. There's no way to cure this guy's poison, uh, which is really, really fun. Um, but it doesn't matter what this issue is about or how much of the story has been solved or the obvious but smart twist at the end of this issue. It doesn't matter that Greg Smallwood draws some of the most beautiful faces you can ask for in comics. It does not matter. That every time I see a squiggle or a splash of color, I feel like I've been transported to a magical, nostalgia-fueled era of cigarettes, suits, romance, and espionage <laughs> without all without all the inherent bigotry that was built into the time. I said magical, okay? Um, none of that matters. You hear me? What does matter is this. Clayton Coles is going hard as fuck in this book. The opening pages of this issue are some of the most impressive bits of immersive, vibey letters I've seen in a long time. Clayton Coles just does the lettering for this book. And in the first couple of pages, I was like, my jaw was dropping. I couldn't believe just how perfectly the letters melded to the art to deliver an experience as to what was supposed to be happening. We've got our main two characters sitting in a nightclub underground, and you feel like lost in the lettering. Every letter feels like it's part of the environment. The feel of the issue would be lost without the fine details of the embedded letters to the environment on the page. The near jarbled text of lyrics that spark in your mind and you hear a sultry feminine voice over slow jazz music. This is all conveyed through simple lettering and small iconography. It's unbelievable. This book looks great. Um, it reads well. The story's fun. Whatever. None of that matters because this issue, the winning piece of it is the lettering. And this continues throughout the whole issue. But the first couple of pages of, of issue number seven of Hit Human Target are just unbelievable. Like I have been I read a couple of X-Men books that just put a bad taste in my mouth. And I was like, I got to read something that I'm pretty sure I'm going to like. Just <laughs> um, put them in your mouth, Mike. That's the first uh, problem. That's true. I, <laughs> my iPad now has bite marks in it. And that's the problem. Um, but oh my God, Clayton Cowles deserves an award for this issue alone. Like I really, really was impressed by just how just amazing his lettering was in this issue. So if you haven't read Human Target, 
get to it. The first volume just came out. Issue number seven starts the new arc. Um, we're finally going to solve this here mystery of who done killed the human target. And uh, yeah, it's it's really good. But I just I had to I had to express my love for the letters in this book because they are so effing good. That's interesting. I've not read this this newest issue yet, but I mean, okay. Every issue of this book, it just I, I like the story and I like what Tom King's doing, but oh my god, it's just I'm just so caught up in Greg Smallard's artwork. Like it's just such yeah. an amazing looking book. It's one of those books that I'm buying it monthly, you know, physically at the shop. I'm mm-hmm. like, whatever deluxe hardcover comes out down the road, I'm going to buy it as well. So it's just it's oh, such yeah. an amazing book. So knowing that the letters are even as good in this issue is is pretty amazing. Yeah, and you know, we I it's it's hard to be like the lettering is what makes this book, but that is yeah. genuinely what it is like i i love how coles has done this work like smallwood's art is like unparalleled as far as i'm concerned (laughs) i did do a comparison (laughs) with nick i don't know if i mentioned this on the show last week or not but like i sent a screenshot of the fantastic four uh (laughs) book that alex ross put out and then a screenshot of similar characters that (laughs) that greg swallow drew and it looks the same but either way they're (laughs) in talented artists right they're very talented artists um smallwood has found the ability to make me genuinely feel like I've fallen in love with a cartoon character of a woman. Like I've never had that, like looking at a page and just being like, that's the most beautiful person I've ever seen in my life. And it's a cartoon drawing, (laughs) you know, like it's, it's incredible. Um, he, He does a fantastic job of showing and expressing emotion for people showing genuine happiness, fury, and like subtlety, like the subtlety in people's face. He has a knack for it. Like similar, you see that same similar, knack for expression in someone like a uh uh I you know Greg Smallwood does it but also David Aha does it like with mm-hmm. his little just clips and small pieces of inking that he does um he's able to express it a person's entire like it, like or aura you know in just yeah. like little tiny yeah. lines so I always find that impressive when artists are not just not only talented in terms of portraying something in a way that feels believable or works really well in their style but also to express emotion in that style Anyways, yeah, love yeah. love Human Target. Everyone should read Human Target. But I'm going to stop talking about how much I love cartoon characters, and let's talk about some other books. Um, Brian, what else have you been reading? So I, I picked this up on Hoopla, and full disclosure, I did not finish it before the show started. Um, I have about 40 pages left, but I've been reading uh, DC versus Vampires, the first volume. Ooh. Is up now. It is, um, it's certainly something. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's a full quote we're gonna put right on the back of that trade <laughs> I, I i do sometimes wonder if if they do all of these spinoffs just so that they can like kill the title characters in different <laughs> gruesome ways sure this this is obviously vampires are fighting off or trying to take over the dc world mm-hmm. um and the only people who can stop them appear to be uh the bat fam and uh green arrow Okay. So, you know, you're in it now. Mm-hmm. We get, um, I, I laughed out loud. One of the very first things that happens is this vampire is like wrapped up like a mummy running to the street, trying to get to the hall of justice to, to get saved from something. And we get like this glimpse of what I think was green arrow lurking in the shadows. So you're like, Oh man, this guy's about to get shot. Uh, and then I, I had an unguided view. So I was just mm-hmm. tabbing through the panels. Next panel that I tabbed to is this vampire just getting nailed by a car. Classic. Just <laughs> fully like over the hood. <laughs> a huge wham sound effect on the page. Hell yeah. It's just not not at all what I was expecting to happen. And I love that. It's a good bait and switch, man. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't uh, just... I also was not expecting uh, for Vampire Green Lantern to put one of the Wonder Twins into a blender. But here oh, are. what? Oh, no. <laughs> Hold on. What? Okay, no context. That's insane. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Green Lantern puts Zan, the uh, form of a useless water thing, Wonder mm-hmm. Twin, into a, a blender made of uh, light construct. So, sure. okay, uh, which seemed a bit excessive to me, <laughs> but that's just me. Oh, and then he says, hmm, a bit watery because Vampire House got jokes. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. I, I am having fun with it. I don't want to give the impression that I'm not enjoying it, mm-hmm. but it's it, it, it's ridiculous in a way that I'm enjoying. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. 
it sounds like the DC equivalent of like the Punisher kills the Marvel universe in some way where they're just like, let's mm-hmm. find ways that we could kill all of these superheroes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely closer to like a, a Marvel zombies or something. Okay. Okay. Where yeah. vast swaths of the heroes and villains are all being turned into monsters and the other heroes have to stop them. <laughs> gotcha. We get to see vampire Riddler for just a hot sack before oh, he gets man. stabbed in the face and killed. <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, yeah, oh, sorry, Paul. I know you were looking forward to reading this. <laughs> yeah, well, I've not read this yet. I, I honestly really like the deceased, which literally is the Marvel zombies, but in the DC universe. Like, I really like that stuff. But this feels like a little bit more humorous take on that because the DC stuff starts off kind of fun and gets pretty serious as it goes on. So, yeah, it's you can tell that they're having fun with it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Like yeah. the the both the writers and the vampires in universe are having a great time. <laughs> Uh, we got vampire Zatanna uh, going to <laughs> hang out with John Constantine. I'm like, nice. I think she was going to kill him, but then they just chat and hang out for a bit <laughs> uh, until Dr. Fate shows up and I think unravels her. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I, it's it's one of those things where it's tough to tell what's happening on the page, but mm-hmm. I bet it would be pretty gruesome to see in motion. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what you're saying is that D or yeah, DC and Warner Brothers are definitely making a DC versus vampires movie coming up after Black Adam, right? Uh, I mean, maybe it would probably have to be animated. Um, and we know how HBO feels about animated series and things of that nature. Right. You will definitely make two seasons. And then right when the story starts to get good, we cancel it. It's also yeah, exactly. the Netflix method, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Uh, but Paul, I guess what else have you been reading? Brian, I, uh, I appreciate, I guess, before we jump over to Paul, I appreciate that you do try all of these weird what if side story things because I, I can't I can't bring myself to it, but I'm glad that you're willing to take the sacrifice every time, whether they're good or bad. Yeah. I, it, <laughs> so, Paul, go ahead. <laughs> um, I very briefly want to mention that I did pick up and enjoyed the second issue of Santos Sisters. That is the book that is done by the creators Greg and Fake. That is their real name. Um, I had raved about the first issue of Santos Sisters a couple months ago, so I was very excited mm-hmm. that they have a second issue coming out. Uh, very, very briefly, it basically feels like a mashup of Archie Comics and 90s image Rob Liefeld Comics. Uh, so if you like either of those things, you'll probably enjoy the Santos Sisters. It is worth noting that if you pick up the second issue, there is a classified ads page, and you might see a little ad for uh, this very podcast <gasps> on that page. So uh, yeah. Check that out. It's only available physically. You cannot find it digitally. So check out floatingworldcomics.com to order it or check out your local comic store. Obviously, they might have a copy. So I enjoyed it. Dumb fun. If you like Archie and or uh, 90s Rob Liefeld comics, you're going to enjoy Santos Sisters. So you might like it if you don't like either of those things, though. It might be uh, completely new to you. I also wanted to talk very briefly about the uh, Ant-Man series. I read Ant-Man number three and number four. This is the four-issue miniseries that Al Ewing wrote with art by Tom Riley and colors by Jordi Belair. They did this to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the Tiniest Avenger, a.k.a. Ant-Man. I know nothing about Ant-Man, aside from Mm -hmm. the sort of random issues of Avengers from the 70s I've read. I only know the Paul Rudd version of the character. So this this miniseries was a lot of fun. Uh, Basically, the gimmick is that there's a mysterious Ant-Man from the year 2549 who has to unite all the former Ant-Men together. That's Hank Pym, uh, Eric O'Grady, and uh, the aforementioned Scott Lang. He has to kind of get them all together to help them fight off this, this big threat that's there in the future. We find out that the big threat is actually uh, Ultron, who's uh, gained the powers of the All-Father. So basically, uh, as guardian god robot that they have to fight. Uh-huh. It's awesome. Uh, one thing I really like about this is that because it's kind of like told from the perspective of the future Ant-Man that there's like the comic itself at times is designed like a comic that came out or will come out in the year 2549. So there's like dialogue boxes that will say like the Marvel narrative experience has been adjusted for your time period. Please obey all reader instructions. <laughs> it's so much fun. It's so ridiculous. That's um, great. And like the fourth issue um, has like a big double page, like exposition dump, but all the exposition they're explaining is stuff that will happen in an alternate future. So it's like 
Ultron arrives from the past, loaded with, loaded with Asgardian magic, and uses his uh, uses it to take the power of the All Father. That happens in Mighty Thor number four thousand seven hundred seventy four. So look out for that issue on the stands coming up soon. Um, that's yeah, right. I, they, is, would have, they would have gone to a number one again, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. a million times. That's the legacy numbering, Brian. Yeah, legacy number. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I love what Al Ewing has been doing with this book and his Defender stuff. Just being able to uh, combine a love of Silver Age Marvel with contemporary Marvel storylines. You know, all the stuff that happens in this book it has been referenced, you know, the back page of every issue will say, Hey, if you want to know more about this thing, that was referenced, check out these Ant-Man issues or check. This is happens in this. So it's all mm-hmm. well researched, uh, as someone that knows very little about Ant-Man, um, and has a very like cursory knowledge of the Avengers in general, uh, in terms of their comic history, I didn't find it confusing. I found actually found myself really wanting to read a bunch of old Ant-Man comics, which I guess they did their job Uh-oh. well if they're doing that, you know, making me want to do that. So um, and very briefly, I do have to say Tom Riley's artwork is fantastic. I, yeah. I read his stuff in that thing miniseries that just wrapped up recently. And this book, it's silver age influence without looking retro. Uh, so if you like stuff that Evan Shaner does or Polly Rivera, uh, Javier Polito a little bit, like he fits that style and it's perfect for this type of story. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I enjoy this. And again, if you, even if you know nothing about Ant-Man as well, we're tracking these issues down. There are a lot of a lot of fun doing some dumb superhero stuff that sounds cool yeah. uh, i think i'll probably grab that thing book and that this ant-man book once they all like once they're fully wrapped up and in tra- i know the thing that things out but yeah I'll probably just binge all this and at, at some point i will be i will try to read everything that al ewing has written for marvel because i feel like every time i pick something up of his it's it's good it's just really really good oh yeah fantastic yeah no, i've never been disappointed in a ewing book so far exactly exactly um Anyways, let's I'm going to let me talk about some last two books that I read. Um, I'll say from last week's episode, uh, my pick was Earth Divers. Number one, it was pretty good. Uh, I, I think the story is a bit is a bit like heavy handed in terms of like some of the things they want the the, the team wanted to get you like up to speed on. But otherwise, like it's a pretty interesting story. Let's go back in time and kill Christopher Columbus. Pretty fun. <laughs> but the books that I want to talk about really quick, um, this is uh, one of the books was Monotone Blue by Nagabe. Uh, you may know that name from the series The Girl from the Other Side that I think I've been screaming about for the past couple of years. Uh, it's a wonderful little manga story uh, that takes place in a slightly like medieval time where there are outsiders who are like these demons. And you don't really know what they are. And this little girl seems to be immune from whatever these demons can do to people. Um, but it's very like slice of lifey. It's very down to earth. There's nothing high action or like super shonen-y about it. It's about just this little girl and her protector who is this one of the demons who has kind of gained more humanity than others and he's trying to take care of this little girl and protect her it's very sweet the ending is extremely tragic um it's wonderful but monotone blue is a little story about a cat boy who has a crush on a lizard boy because the lizard boy has a bright blue tail and the cat boy likes to look at it and i promise you this is not about penises okay despite whatever you may (laughs) think everything about this book looks like they're talking about penises the whole time they're definitely not it's a lizard tail okay um or it might be i don't really know like i can i introduce you to the idea of metaphor (laughs) listen brian um (laughs) it might be a metaphor for penises i'm not really sure but uh Again, I'm also just like a cis guy reading a romance story, so I'm just going to insert whatever thoughts are in my head, which is apparently penises all the time. Um, Anyways, (laughs) this is a good read. (laughs) This is a really good read. Um, It's really sweet. I think it falls into a lot of the tropes of like school, high school based romance stories of like, he's the dumb one and he's the really smart one. And suddenly they have to work together, you know, like. But I also think that Nagabi has a good time taking the animalistic side of things like the lazy guy is also a cat who likes to sleep all day, you know, and the lizard guy is like the astute student who is like always being you know on the lookout for, you know, predators and stuff like that, because everyone at the school is a mammal except for him. So there's there's a lot of interesting bits going on in the story. And I think you could probably attach a lot of metaphor on top of various elements that happen. Um, and ultimately, um, it's really fun and really sweet. I think the book 
overall is very wholesome. Um, you get these wonderful moments where the 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 cat boy. I didn't write down anyone's name because I'm a terrible um, <laughs> critic, but uh, the cat boy is is cold is very warm because it's a hot summer day. But the lizard who doesn't regulate his temperature the same way is nice and cool. And so they have this moment where the cat's like, "Oh my god, you're so cold!" And he's like rubbing up on him. And, you know, it's it's very like, "Oh, why are they doing that? This is kind of weird." So if you're looking for like a mostly cute romance story, there is a little bit of a implied assault i will say at the end it's a little tr- trigger warning on that but um otherwise this is a very sweet book um from start to finish plus nagabe's art is just like chef kiss good um so I, it's just a one and done type of story i highly recommend it if you if you're just looking for nothing something sweet to read the other book i want to talk about really quick though is old dog number one uh this is declan shelvey and clayton coles um the synopsis for those of you who maybe didn't hear about this is jack lynch was once a promising cia operative we're going like 180 degrees the other direction by the way from my last book um <laughs> on the eve of retirement uh jack is looking back at a failed career he's tasked with one final mission that goes horribly wrong he wakes up years later to a changed world and in deeper changes within him when a shadow group offers lynch a second chance at a life of adventure he's paired with the last person he could ever imagine in order to adjust this old dog will have to learn some new tricks i don't really care about the synopsis because i feel like that's a bad way to pitch this book Mm -hmm. something about the way that shelby writes is really interesting and i feel like he has a good grasp on telling stories about people who have a lot of brokenness in them and that's what really clicked for me with this book there's clearly a guy with a lot of problems doing some you know cia operative you know black ops work and there's an action story that's also happening and i think when the two stories meet at the end of the issue it really it really really works and this might just be me having read a lot of time before time which i feel like has a a similar vibe of like lots of things happening separately that get merged together really quickly not that that's a new concept by any means, but I feel like Shelby really understands how to make that work. The twist and the mystery box at the center of this story is also a huge hook. Um, I can't believe that the synopsis doesn't tell you that there's like a big question mark in the story, um, but it's huge and it feels like a J.J. Abrams lost type thing um, where like the whole story is probably never going to touch on that thing. And instead, we're going to work around it nonstop. If you hate that, don't read this book. Hey, but that I is think the most you... damning thing you could have said. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but I, I also want to say that I think that that works because this book is very what I feel like so far is very, quote, lo-fi sci-fi in that there is a sci-fi element to the story, but mm-hmm. it is not the like every the whole story isn't focused on the sci-fi element of it and instead it's about this old man who has to partner with this mysterious person um uh that we uh, he does never thought he would work with um but in a way where like the technology is there but it's not like again the focus of the story and instead we get to see these two people um have to deal with their differences so I don't know. I think this book is really cool. And I think that that mystery unknown technology thing is probably going to come around and show its head at some point. But I -hmm. like the way that this first issue was pitched. And I think if you're if you're into time before time, you're going to love this book. If you like Shelby's other work, you're going to love this book. Um, Mm -hmm. I think this dude has grown significantly since his last few works that he did. Um, Savage Town and Bog Bodies, I think were okay books. And I think actually Savage Town was pretty good. Um, But either way, like I feel like he's grown as a writer from working on Time Before Time. And I think Old Dog is going to be like a, a banger of a series once it wraps up. Or I don't know how long it's going to go, but my guess it's probably going to be a mini series. So, yeah, pretty solid stuff. Nice. Um, anyways, let's take, a, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what's on the top of our pile. And I have some questions about the She-Hulk TV show that I think we just need to get into. So get prepared <laughs> for some full spoilers for all of She-Hulk as of October 9th, 2022. So we'll be right back. up our show this week we're going to be talking about what's on the top of our pile whether it's a new comic an old comic or something that's been sitting in your backlog for way too long that you just want to read we're going to be asking what's on the top of your pile so let's kick things off with paul what is on the top of your pile uh literally on the top of my pile because i just went to the comic book store uh the other day Uh, there's a book that came out last week i think uh and that's superman space age number two that is the second issue in the prestige format and a little bit oversized issue miniseries that um, Mark Russell is writing with art by Mike Allred, colors by Laura Allred, and uh, letters by Dave Sharp. 
this Ooh. is kind of an Elseworlds story, kind of alternate version of Superman, but it's set in uh, middle of the 20th century. Basically, the idea is the current time in the comic is 1985, like right before the crisis on Infinite Earths is about to start. But mm-hmm. they're flashing back to the origins of Superman and the rest of the Justice League in like the 60s and 70s here. The first issue... Um, we saw Clark Kent basically deciding to become Superman and uh, start saving people after being uh, sort of inspired or, or um, maybe inspired is not the right word, but after seeing the assassination of uh, John F. Kennedy, he's like, well, I have to do something to help people out. I have to, can't just stay here on the farm. So that inspires him to become Superman. Um, and this, <laughs> right. Sorry. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, All right. And then we also see some interesting sort of alternate versions of the rest of the Justice League. For example, in that first issue, we find out that Bruce Wayne is actually just uh, a rich guy that is developing technology for the military. Um, He builds this sort of like sleek uh, espionage suit that kind of looks like a bat suit. And he's going to sell it to the military Mm -hmm. to fight the Cold War. And of course, they don't buy it. So he ends up having to put it on himself. And that inspires him to become Batman. So it's like a different take on the Justice League and on these characters, sort of inspired by the Cold War era. Sure. Um, this second issue seems to focus on the first time that Batman, Superman, and the rest of the Justice League, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, all team up for the first time. It's set in the early 70s. What I like about it is, first off, you get uh, Mike Allred artwork, which is always nice. And he's doing sort of, you know, 60s and 70s era storytelling, which I think his artwork is perfectly suited for. He obviously loves drawing mm-hmm. uh, fashion from that time period. Yeah. And Mark Russell is a creator who, you know, he's known for doing more very satirical, tongue-in-cheek type, type work. Um, if you've read his, his Flintstones book or um, any of his other, like, he did that one about uh, Jesus coming back as a superhero, the second coming, which I haven't read, <laughs> but I know he does like stuff like that. Like, it's mm-hmm. high-concept satire. This book feels a lot more earnest. It's basically th- these two creators exploring what they find so inspiring about Superman as a character and kind of like their take on the the man of tomorrow as an influence on pop culture and superheroes in general. So I mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff. I like to see characters play with Superman as an idea and what he represents. So I, I'm enjoying this book. And again, like I said, anytime you get Mike and Laura all read on art together, it's always a treat. So, yeah. 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 I've been rereading through the ecstatic series and, um, I mean, I I love the way that Allred, the Allreds do like the X-Men because I mean, they're not drawing like major X-Men characters for the most part. Um, But for instance, they draw Professor Xavier with the big like Vulcan upward turned eyebrows and stuff. And he kind (laughs) of looks like a shithead. Um, I love it. I I love that absolute look because it's it's such a different take on the look of the X-Men. And of course, I know I've said this on previous episodes, but the letter columns in the back of those issues never get old because the people mm-hmm. reading ecstatics back in the early 2000s hated that series with a passion that I don't <laughs> understand. If you hate a book so much, just stop reading it. Yeah, clearly these people would not. And they were yeah. so mad about every choice that the creative team made, especially Mike and Laura Allred's art. They're like, this is not what my comic books are like. And I hope all those people stop reading comic books because I don't want them in this community. Um, it's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> are, are you really going to uh, tell people that if they don't like a book, they have to stop or they should stop reading it? Yes, yeah. that's that's not that's not your thing. Yeah. Unheard well, of. Here's Mike, you thing. would never do that. I I I. All right. I'm a hypocrite. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. But I mean, I guess I don't have, I don't have rage. I'm not rage reading a comic book. You know what I mean? More like Um, disgust. Yeah. It's more just like a disappointment and frustration in myself that I spent and wasted the time, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Anyways, I, I, I saw this book on the shelf. I think I saw the first issue. And it looked really exciting. So maybe this will yeah. be a, I'll collect, once this all gets collected up, I'll probably take a read because I love looking at Mike and Laura Allred's art. Of course. Yeah, anytime. That's great stuff. Definitely. Brian, what about you? What's on the top of your pile? So this is uh, a manga that I happened to just see at a, on an end cap at the comic shop the other day. Uh, and that is Dinosaur Sanctuary Volume 1. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. This is by Itaru Kinoshita. Uh, it's it's basically like what if Jurassic Park, but it hadn't immediately gone wrong <laughs> um, okay. to the point where like at this point in in, the, in this world, dinosaur zoos are just kind of like a thing now. Cool. And our, our main character, uh, I, I think, is a zookeeper at a dinosaur zoo. 
uh what else do we need to say right like yeah as as the quote goes you had me at dinosaur zoo (laughs) (laughs) oh man looking scrolling through the preview that google has this looks amazing like yeah full anime manga vibes but then the dinosaurs are hyper realistic (laughs) yeah and like like uh using using our modern ideas about like what dinosaurs actually looked like Mm -hmm. uh they had a uh a consultant i can't remember what their name was now but basically like a a fact checker like a research assistant to make sure they were actually getting all the dinosaur stuff right oh cool yeah so you've got like like you know the the t-rex has feathers and stuff gotcha oh yeah i'm seeing that one of the dinosaurs have little feathers all over that's really cool well fun and like i I was definitely like a dinosaur kid growing up so Mm -hmm. this is exactly what i would have been doing in that world (laughs) yes totally understandable um well that looks like a lot of fun i you have to report back on that and whether it it pays off but it looks it looks super fun to say the least what about you? Uh, well, for me, yeah, uh, I guess before I get in my top, the top of my picks, top of my pile, I guess I should say we have some folks hanging out with us on Discord, and here's what they're reading. Danny is going to be reading Batman Incorporated number one, which I was very excited to see was coming out, and then I decided I don't need to pick up another book that I'm probably going to dislike. Um, so <laughs> I hope it's good, Danny. Uh, and Hannah is reading uh, Mark Wade's Flash, or continuing to read Mark Wade's Flash, and their conclusion is that Bart is a whiny little bitch. Their words, not mine. Um... <laughs> But that's what was said on the Discord. So if you have if you have some thoughts or you want to get a shout out on the show, make sure you're on the IRCB Discord and make sure you're here when we're recording these episodes live on Sundays, somewhere between one and three p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard. But my pick for this week is a book that I'm very excited about because I didn't even know it was a thing. But this is Star Wars Visions number one. And now the Star Wars Vision show, I know a lot of people liked, a lot of people didn't like. But you know, it's an anthology show, and that's kind of the goal. You're trying to hold new a bunch of things. This issue in particular covers the samurai uh, episode of Star Wars Visions. This is by Takashi Okazaki. The synopsis, and I'm just going to read this. From the creative mind behind Star Wars Visions episode, The Duel comes an all-new story. Takashi Okazaki from Afro Samurai is continuing his storytelling from the acclaimed Star Wars Vision episode, The Duel, featuring the Ronin. The mythology of Star Wars infused with the elements of feudal Japan makes this issue a must-read for Star Wars and manga fans alike, and I'm so excited. The cover alone is breaking my brain. I love that episode so much. That that beautiful moment, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry you should go fix that, but the moment where this guy pulls this red lightsaber out of a scabbard is probably the most excited I've been for a Star Wars property in a very, very long time. So I really, really like this, and I'm excited. This looks like it's just going to be a one-shot, so I'm excited to just pick it up and read it and be done with it. I'm so hyped. Yeah, that was arguably the the one good thing in Star Wars Visions. <laughs> um, before you know, this is before we get too deep into that comment. Um, yes, I'm I'm very excited. I'm glad that you enjoyed it as well, and we'll have to talk about it on a future episode. But speaking of Disney Television, I did want to talk a little bit about She Hulk. I know the season's almost wrapped up. I think the the final episode is next week. So of course we're just going to talk about it this week because why not? Right. But Brian Paul you've you're up to date you've seen everything that's happened i'm gonna put a big alert here xander maybe play some sort of like clang or kerrang noise whatever clacks on clacks on that's what it's called uh we're gonna be talking full spoilers for all of she hulk um up until this point as of october 9th 2022 so you've been warned i've given you at least 30 seconds of warning so Let's talk about She-Hulk for just a little bit. I am curious as to what everyone's thoughts. And so, like, mm-hmm. Brian, maybe let's start with you, and then we'll kind of bounce around from there. I think it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that, like, all, all the actors are having a good time with it. Um, I think that Tatiana Maslany is doing a great job as Jen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, I got nothing but good things to say about it. Yeah, what about you, Paul? I am so happy that I was proven wrong. Uh, I remember seeing the initial trailer for this and thinking it looked terrible. Uh, I, For those of you that maybe don't know, She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters, is one of my favorite Marvel characters. Uh, something about that character I've always really liked. Uh, she's right up there with Ben Grimm and Steve Rogers for me. So mm-hmm. I'm, I was very skeptical about the show because I have not really liked the other Marvel TV shows so far. And then, of course, I think a lot of people pointed out that the, the CGI was uh, spotty at best in that initial trailer. So um, 
I was very skeptical, but I'm I, like I said, I'm happy to be proven wrong. I really liked every episode. I think the last couple episodes have been some of the strongest. They've done a really good job of mm-hmm. making a show that is a part of the MCU, but never feels beholden to it. They've really cut back on the tie-ins to the movies. It so far has not built up to a big knockdown drag out superhero fight, although we see a little bit mm-hmm. of that in the most recent episode. Uh, but I think overall kind of stands on its own as a very fun, enjoyable, low stakes show set in that world, which is kind of what I always wanted from the Marvel MCU uh, TV shows. So it, it delivers on all fronts for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just to give my two cents before we, we dive into it any further. I mean, I'm one of those people that just absolutely hates it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I love this show. I, I, I was, I was on in the same boat as you, Paul. I was really skeptical. I was like, God, the, the fucking the CG. Could mm-hmm. Marvel just actually give this show some budget or whatever? And I still think the CG is a little spotty. Yeah. Um, like yeah. it's not perfect. I think that they try to do a really good job of keeping um, uh, Tatiana's likeness, like in the face and like the overall feel but it just (laughs) i'm sorry it just doesn't work like she has a specific face shape and she has teeth that don't work with the cg face like i'm just (laughs) gonna say that that being said all like that aside i'm willing to forgive it because the writing is stupendous right like i'll give up a, a a bad looking movie or like a bad looking anything if the story is there and they've delivered that consistently like it's poking fun at itself it's poking fun at the mcu without being too self-referential like a he's right behind me isn't he kind of moment you know <laughs> um i feel like it's it's work from beginning to end in every issue i'm like i don't know how they're gonna deliver it i have to remind myself that it's all a big joke and it actually is really really fun like Everything about the show is not trying to be serious. It's not trying to tie back to the MCU. It's just exists within the universe, which, again, I think that's what we all wanted from a lot of these MCU TV shows. Yeah, yeah I think that Tom in the chat nailed it, um, saying that Tatiana Maslany has a very expressive face and that yes. the CGI just mm-hmm. doesn't grab that well, like mm-hmm. it doesn't mesh. And I think that's exactly the issue I have with it. Yeah. But I, yeah, I also think it helps that, as you mentioned, like, uh, her specifically but all the actors are generally funny people um mm-hmm. and i think a mm-hmm. lot of the mcu like movies have tried to like interject humor but it always comes off kind of like snarky and this show like it flirts with that but it never feels like mean spirit or snarky in the way that some of the other marvel attempts at humor in the movies does to me specifically sure. you know what i mean it's very like genuine and i think a lot of that does come down to the performances from the actors um, we do see Patty Harrison show up in one that one at the wedding episode and I love her. She's so funny. <laughs> I'm so glad to see her pop up. And it was like that thing, like her comedy is so over the top, but it fit with the world that they built in that show. So, yeah, it helps that this show got itself off the ground with the comedy bent, right? <clears throat> it's not like Guardians of the Galaxy where we're pulling on heartstrings and then immediately trying to make a left turn to make a joke and then back to the heart. Like, yeah, it, it all feels like natural like all the jokes all the beats all the bits like actually Mm -hmm. feel natural and of course you can do that with a television show a lot easier than you can with a movie um i'm not trying to argue that here but uh it it definitely all flows and and even to the point where like you've got someone like uh you know tim i want to say tim robinson but that's not his name tim roth tim roth thank you in the show where like i don't know i feel like historically he's played like much more dramatic roles but he works so well as like a bit character throughout this whole like especially in the last um two episodes right like mm-hmm. totally totally insane um with him and his stupid compound that he's got to like group therapy <laughs> therapize a bunch of villains or superheroes yeah, and villains. yeah it, it's like a a group therapy retreat for d-list super villains <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i mean i don't know i feel like this is refreshing to me, right? Yeah. I think it's so crazy. And I, I want to talk about Andor a little bit today, too. But I know we're not all caught up, so I don't want to dive into the details. But I feel like something clicked finally over at Disney. And mm-hmm. they've realized, oh, we can just put out TV shows. They don't have to have, like, these big implications. And I feel like with Andor and with She-Hulk, mm-hmm. they're finally, like, hitting the mark. Or maybe yeah. these are just flukes. I can't really <laughs> tell yet. <laughs> I, I'm going to, yeah, based on track record, these feel like this might just be lucky flukes sure for for disney sure. but uh yeah i think what's really nice again it's like obviously i think the most recent episode which i guess we've already done the spoiler alert so like having on-screen team up between she hulk and daredevil feels like you know <gasps> we're building daredevil up to which i absolutely loved 
I love that yeah. uh, uh, Charlie Cox is like, well, if I show up, there's got to be a fight in the hallway. That's that's the only reason I'm oh doing. My, <laughs> I can dude, do a, that do a moment, show, the right? camera, the camera <laughs> cut to a hallway, and I, I, Kelly and I are sitting on the couch next to each other. I think I like accidentally bruised Kelly's arm. I was squeezing it, just like <laughs> they're gonna do the hallway scene again. Like I was yeah. <laughs> screaming in the house. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I get, I like it because. It felt like, and I think the show in general, the seasons in general, really captured the feel of reading like a mid-tier Marvel comic where it's Mm -hmm. like, because the Marvel universe is so like a shared universe, anyone can show up in a book, but it doesn't have to be a big deal. It can just happen. It's like, oh, look, Daredevil popped up in this issue of She-Hulk. And it's not like a big crossover. It's not like the other shows where it felt like everything was building toward the same conclusion with the movies. This feels Mm -hmm. like its own little pocket. And that's, I think makes it so refreshing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Daredevil really, uh, really popped up in this one, didn't they? Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean him showing up, I I saw an interview uh, pretty uh, recently with him and he was like, apparently him and Vincent D'Onofrio keep in touch, right? Like, and they were saying like Vincent's like they're gonna call us they're gonna call us they're gonna call us and Charlie Cox is like there's no way man the show ended in 2017 and the fact that like they're actually bringing they brought both of those characters back uh you know Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin and Hawkeye and then you know Charlie Cox here like I I'm glad that they are Marvel isn't trying to completely reinvent the wheel this is not me saying that all the X-Men characters can come back this is not me saying that I'm gonna just put that out there before but or actors I should say but regardless like i i think that they made the right choice because those that daredevil show was a quick like a perfect like exploration into that character and so yeah. trying to find ways to mix it into the happy go lucky mcu while keeping some of that those the 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 character there is is very exciting to me because i felt like charlie cox was still that like down in the dumps matt murdoch and he finally found like once he got out of new york he could actually be happy for a moment now of course he's <laughs> going to go back to new york and brood and just be terrible but like mm-hmm. he at least got a moment of happiness here right <laughs> yeah uh you know daredevil firsthand knows how hard that catholic guilt can hit so uh just only a matter of time <laughs> <laughs> i do think it was funny uh the one thing that they can't get away from is you know properly lighting anything in these tv shows just like the film so like she makes a joke about daredevil's costume being ketchup and mustard and it's just maroon and gold like it's not bright yeah. at all so yeah, color it's like in the dark on top of a parking garage yeah yeah exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> which she then destroys which i don't think a lawyer would do yeah yeah that was <laughs> That was the bit that I did like is 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 Matt Murdock calls ISIS. That's that's property damage, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was worried that her super suit was going to be the um the the onesie. Um I'm glad mm-hmm. that she got shorts or leotard or whatever. I was worried that it was just gonna be that, and I was like, Yeah, come on, we can't make the CGI horny guys horny. We can't do it. We just can't <laughs> do it. But I'm glad that they put her in shorts. So it was a good look. I'm I'm glad that they kept with the classic like purple and white, you know, yeah, uh, and black. It, it all looked really cool when she actually donned the the uniform. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but of course, I mean, it's it's her. I don't know the CG just it's not there. But I also again am willing to accept it because we got like an overall like good story out of it. Yeah, yeah. Nice I mean, stuff. if Marvel wasn't bending over backwards to avoid paying union workers, <laughs> then maybe we would have gotten a better hey, product out of it. But. um yeah so i guess uh i don't know how are you how are you guys feeling overall are you excited for the the end of this first season because i think the next episode is the finale um we got the big gala episode that happened where i I did appreciate the like meta commentary at the end of the most recent episode where she's like hold on this isn't the wait this is the end is the finale is the finale next week like i i know the show is very self-aware of itself like jen walters talking to the screen is a gimmick and i know it and i know that it's supposed to be deadpools only but i think she makes it work better (laughs) in a lot of ways well, yeah, yeah. Again, to be fair, it was her gimmick first. You know, John Byrne did it in the Sensational She-Hulk series before Deadpool was even created. So that that's mm. Jennifer Walters' territory. Um, Paul's got the receipts. Thank you. But yeah, uh, but I do think the show doesn't go overboard with that stuff. Thankfully, it's done in a way that is smart, and it's not. It's not like The Office where she's constantly turning to the camera. Like it just happens enough <laughs> to like we got to wrap up this episode. Like I did appreciate yeah. that. Um, yeah. I'm very excited to see what yeah, happens. It's like- so, go ahead. Maybe once an episode. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, and it's 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 not even like a scrubs like narration either, right? Like I I do appreciate that it's not leaned on so much that it like becomes the crux of the show. So right. um, or a crutch of the show, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's overall it's well done. And um yeah, I, I like the way they use it at the end of the most recent episode to signal a big dramatic change in tone. It looks like the conclusion of the most recent episode, uh, you know, Jennifer Walters, everything kind of comes to a head and mm-hmm, she hulks mm-hmm. out finally, like fully for the first time really in the show. And it, I feel like that moment was like, oh yeah, she on top, not just all the being green and tall and strong, there is a Hulk underneath all of that. And that can like mm-hmm. have some negative consequences, right? It's hard to control. So uh, I'm really looking forward to the way that it kind of shifts the show maybe tonally to kind of reconfigure that say yeah she is still a a hulk uh at heart you know Mm. uh on top of everything else so feels like an opportunity to kind of shift the the tone a little bit that's interesting because i took that as it's not that she's a hulk it's that jen has so much shit going on right the whole story has been building up like her with stress and anxiety and all this other stuff. And even though she's been able to get some of that out, whether that's in a yurt or hanging out with Daredevil, um, <laughs> at the same time, like none of these problems, these actual bigger problems that she has go away, right? They're temporarily relieved. So like in this final moment, as someone is, you know, got the best of her in a way that she didn't realize, I, I saw that as like, that's Jen taking out her frustrations, right? Like Tatiana, like the actress is, is very small. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And like when she grows into this She-Hulk, like I feel like that's her like that's a way for her. To, she's violently expressing herself. And it's a combination of like the Hulk strength and rage, but also her own rage, because sure. we show we've seen time and time again that she does have a very, very good control over this Hulk in comparison to Bruce Banner. Um, and I think that's kind of like the shtick with with She-Hulk is that she has a much better grasp on it. But um, I don't know. I, I saw that as like. Was it her just hulking out or was it her just genuinely being frustrated with all of these pressures that have been put on her the whole season? You know, like she, she almost lost the person, her costume designer, and that's still like in a in a in a tense situation. She's this job is basically a gimmick so that, you know, that this company can have the She-Hulk working for them, like all of these things kind of falling down. And she's just finally venting, uh, yeah. obviously very not very uh, uh, constructive, but uh, still like that's her like lashing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's like her her very human, understandable rage, but we're seeing it through the lens of a Hulk's strength. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I, they they hinted that in the very first episode, where like you know, um, you know, uh, Bruce is basically explaining, you know, uh, you have to control your rage, control your anger. Anything could set you off. And she's like, well, that's just what it's like being a woman. So like, that's already been a part mm-hmm. of the show. Mm-hmm. And that's a good point, Mike. I mean, I, the idea that it might be interesting to explore that idea where it's like the Hulk's strength and rage can be seen as useful, but She-Hulk's could be seen as, you know, just the way like strength and confidence can be seen negatively when expressed by a woman, you know, in politics or culture. Same thing where mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, She-Hulk hulking out is even scarier because like she can't control it where we can accept Bruce Banner's hulking out because he's def- punched a space God or something like it's been useful <laughs> because boys will be boys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Green boys will be green boys. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess the last thing I want to talk about the show is, uh, Megan, the stallion. Uh, do we want to, do we want to, uh, complain like the rest of the internet about it or i don't care <laughs> i don't yeah. care. i don't me either i thought it was funny because it were it was part of the episode like it's not like it came out of nowhere it's right. part of the episode i think it's yeah. funny it's exactly what those post uh credits things should be should be pointless like jokes they, they shouldn't be right. anything more important than that i do exactly if i could have one complaint about the show and it's super minor and i hate to do this because i understand adaptations you necessarily have to change characters and change things but mm-hmm. um titania in the comics is a blue collar character she's married to the absorbing man she loves him you know she's a tough blue collar presentation of a character of a supervillain. Mm-hmm. That's radically different from what we get in the TV show. And I like that actress that's playing that character. I like the storyline they did, but Mike, just get a different name. Like my Titania is, you know, uh, would not be uh, the head of a uh, beauty, you know, supply uh, of, you know, she wouldn't be a magnate for uh, skincare products. Sure. Sure. Well, Paul hates women. Um, so let's, uh... 
<laughs> Edit that out, Xander. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, no, no, I, I totally, I totally feel that because yeah, I, in my mind, when that character was introduced, I was like, what is the absorbing man? Gonna go? Are we going right, to somehow exactly. get that, that black bolt like storyline? Like <laughs> that could be very exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's a, uh, that's it. Yeah. I, I totally agree there. Um, but <laughs> we did get the wrecking crew for a hot sec there. I yeah. know. Yeah, I know. Um, and I definitely thought that the Frogger guy in the most recent episodes was like a mock of the kick-ass character. It's, it's, not, um, <laughs> it's not, but it looks like it from from the still that Danny shared in Discord. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess any final thoughts on on She-Hulk? Anything else you guys want to talk about? What are you most excited for? I guess to wrap up this season. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what to expect. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't. I don't know what's going to happen. I assume that they're probably going to have her like take down the internet trolls that have been trying to ruin her life, but probably not in the Hulk way, probably in the lawyer way. Mm. Um, I know everyone expects uh, Reed Richards and crew to pop up in one of the movies. I'm just saying Jennifer Walters was a member of the Fantastic Four. She's good friends with Ben Grimm. <laughs> We're finally going to get ever open blue-eyed thing pop up in the next episode. Cannot wait. Paul is using a Reed Richards level of stretch to try to make this happen. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, that's great. I, I think uh, I'm really excited to see Tim Roth become the abomination again. I think it has sure. to happen just to wrap up this season. Um, but we'll see. And we'll, we'll see if Mark Ruffalo makes an appearance as well. I think that's I'm thinking of like all the cameos coming back for one final episode. Um, who knows if that's actually going to be the case. But that's that's where I'm at with it. Um, but it looks, it looks, I mean, either way, I'm excited for the end of this. And I think it's overall been like a really, really enjoyable season. So yeah. um, thanks for chatting with me again about it, guys. Who knows? Maybe we'll do more television talk in the future um, when we can finally sync up everyone's schedules to actually be caught up on a TV show at some time. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess to wrap things up next week, it's going to be me and Danny and Nick. We're going to be talking about comics, probably going to be talking about Vanish number one. And Danny's going to maybe bully me into buying issue number two so we can finally talk about it. Um, as always, you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. And we've got a Discord and Goodreads. All that stuff is in the show notes. So make sure you click on those links. Give us a follow. Give us a rating and review. All that stuff. It always helps the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Can't thank them enough. Xander is here I want to say thank you to Brian and Paul <laughs> for, for joining me on this episode. Thank you to Nick for proof listening. Thank you to everyone hanging out with us in the Discord. You're all wonderful human beings. And thank you for listening this long in the episode. It means a lot to know that you care about me saying the same thing every week on I Read Comic Books. So until next time, remember, comics are good and so are you. Okay.